You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Welcome to Aaron Menke's Cabinet of Curiosities, a production of iHeartRadio and Grim and Mild. Our world is full of the unexplainable. And if history is an open book, all of these amazing tales are right there on display, just waiting for us to explore. Welcome to the Cabinet of Curiosities. The closing song of the musical Little Shop of Horrors bears a stern warning don't feed the plants, and for good reason. Though they may seem harmless, certain species of flora can be hazardous to humans and animals alike. And though none of them have ever eaten people, at least that we know of, several have been known to make a person wish they'd never been born. Water hemlock, for example, which is commonly found in the western half of the United States, can cause seizures and crippling abdominal pain prior to death if eaten. White snake root is a white-flowered herb that bears a strong resemblance to baby's breath, but unlike baby's breath, it's deadly to humans. So much so, in fact, that even drinking milk from cows that have eaten it has been known to cause nausea and even death. But there is one plant that is toxic in a different way. It has left several casualties in its wake, but not due to its ingestion. Those who met their end failed to heed one simple warning. Don't touch. The gimpy gimpy is considered a shrub, but you wouldn't think so based on its size. It's technically a small tree, which can range in heights from 3 to 10 feet. It grows in the rainforests of northeastern Australia and features wide leaves shaped like hearts. Ironic, given what happens to those who make the mistake of touching them. The leaves look soft and furry, but each one is covered in thousands of tiny harpoon-like hairs. Brush against their broad green surfaces and the hairs will lodge themselves in the skin, releasing a toxin that causes pain unlike anything ever felt before. Educator and scientist Marina Hurley has written about the Gimpy Gimpy's defense mechanism in the past, describing the sensation as being burnt with hot acid and electrocuted at the same time. And that's no exaggeration. Hurley spent three years exploring the Australian rainforest studying the Gimpy Gimpy while clad in protective gear and welding gloves, even her precautions weren't enough to stop the tiny follicles from penetrating her skin. Her reaction was so severe, she was hospitalized and told to avoid the plant for the rest of her life. Even standing near its stinging fibers, which are constantly being shed into the air, can cause reactions worse than spring allergies. Coughing, sneezing, and nosebleeds have all been reported by people unfortunate to get within a few feet of them. The only way to relieve the pain of a gimpy gimpy sting is to slather the area in hot wax and rip the hairs out. Not exactly a day at the spa. Just be careful. Some strands may break off even more, getting stuck for good and bringing no end to the suffering. Stories of gimpy gimpy encounters are harrowing and date all the way back to the 19th century. 
A surveyor named A.C. McMillan had taken his horse through a patch of it in 1866. The horse grazed it, and two hours later it died from the pain. Decades later, a World War II soldier accidentally fell into the plant during training and spent the next three weeks strapped to a gurney, writhing and screaming in agony. Ernie Ryder, a botanist studying the plant in 1963, was stung all over his face, chest, and arms. He endured the pain for two years before it finally subsided, although he claimed it returned every time he took a cold shower. But perhaps the most tragic tale is that of another soldier, who found himself with the urgent need to relieve himself in the forest. He didn't have toilet paper to clean himself up with, so he reached for the nearest leaf instead. The burning became so unbearable, he took his own life to make it stop. Clearly, the Gimpy Gimpy is not something to be trifled with. Like the eastern brown snake or the box jellyfish, it's a living species with one of the most dangerous defense mechanisms on Earth. There's a reason why it often goes by its other, more ominous name, the suicide plant. Everyone has to start somewhere if they want to move up in the world. From the mailroom clerk who works their way to the corner office, to the young violin student practicing with dreams of the Philharmonic, people don't often start out at the top. It takes hard work, determination, and a healthy dose of blind luck. Harry got his start on a dairy farm in rural Pennsylvania. Born in 1879, he eventually became a resourceful and opportunistic child. The main job his parents had given him was to tend the farm, but he also started milking the cows on the side to earn extra money. When he got older, he raised frogs at a pond he dug himself, selling them to local restaurants who made frogs' legs. Harry hadn't come from a big family, which was probably why he wanted one of his own as he got older. After his marriage to Blanche Edna Heisen in 1900, the couple got to work on growing their brood, 16 children in all. Harry's mother and aunts also moved in with him, which made for a pretty crowded house. Of course, it took a lot of money to feed those hungry mouths. Harry, thankfully, made a decent living working for his father-in-law's cannery before finding his way to managing a dairy farm in Pennsylvania, a job that obviously reminded him of his childhood days. Harry enjoyed his work, and he was quite good at it too, but he also knew that there were bigger opportunities out there. In 1916, he answered an ad placed by a man named Milton. He owned several dairy farms in a town an hour north of Harry and hired Harry to work at one of them. A year later, though, he was promoted to manager at a new farm where cows were milked by machines instead of a farmer's bare hands. And that was an exciting glimpse of the future. Sadly, it was also a costly endeavor, one that Milton had no choice but to shudder in 1919. Harry, looking to make ends meet between jobs, took his newfound unemployment as a sign to start his own company making confections. His sweet treats were popular in the local stores, but he wouldn't be able to keep up with demand unless he improved his manufacturing process. This required capital to buy better tools. He raised enough funds to buy the equipment he needed by selling stock in his new company. It didn't help, though. He went under quickly and was forced to work three jobs to feed his growing family. But Harry continued to experiment with candies and confections out of his basement on the side. He even went to work for Milton again, who gave him a job in the shipping department at one of his factories. 
And it was here where the struggling candy maker found exactly what he needed to get his new business off the ground. Harry launched his new company in 1923 and sold candies to local department stores. Milton wasn't mad, though. He didn't see his employee as competition, but as a customer. You see, Milton was Milton Hershey, founder of the Hershey Candy Company, and he was selling Harry all the chocolate he needed to make his own products. Among them were chocolate bars, nuts and raisins coated in milk and dark chocolate, plus an entirely new creation. You see, another candy maker had been having trouble fulfilling orders from a particular customer with a very specific request. They had asked for something no one else was making, and Harry saw a way to step in and save the day. He fulfilled the order and decided to sell the new product as part of his line as well. It was a simple concept, really. A round disc of chocolate filled with a filling in the center. He sold them for a penny apiece, and sales boomed immediately. So much so that during World War II, when sugar and other materials became too expensive to obtain, he canceled production of all his candies, except this one. In the end, it became his signature product, a combination of two great tastes that worked great together. The filling in his chocolate? Peanut butter. And thanks to its popularity, Harry's product is still around today. We all just know it by his last name. Harry Burnett Reese, creator of the Reese's Peanut Butter Cup, would go on to become a millionaire thanks to his tenacity and creativity. And he gave us all something to chew on. How's that for a sweet ending? I hope you've enjoyed today's guided tour of the Cabinet of Curiosities. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts or learn more about the show by visiting curiositiespodcast.com. This show was created by me, Aaron Mankey, in partnership with How Stuff Works. I make another award-winning show called Lore, which is a podcast, book series, and television show. And you can learn all about it over at theworldoflore.com. And until next time, stay curious. Thank you.